Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you would take your Bibles this morning, open them with me to the New Testament book of Revelation, to Revelation chapter 3, for this morning's message and for our time together here today. Over the last several weeks now, a month and a half or so, we've been in a sermon series entitled, Can You Hear Me Now? Can You Hear Me Now? That is not an endorsement of a cell phone company. We're not trying to be cutesy along the way, but we're largely asking that question because it's the question that Jesus asked of the seven churches in Revelation. In all seven of these churches, Jesus gives a letter, words of encouragement, and at times even words of rebuke, but he explains the message and then he pauses and he closes with this reality of saying, so he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, I've given you the message. I've declared to you the truth. Now here's the question. Have you really received it? Have you gotten it? Have you responded in a way that's appropriate for the Lord? As we come to the sixth church in Revelation, we come to a church in the city of Philadelphia. Here in this church, we begin to understand that they did not receive a single word of rebuke. There was not a single thing in this church that Jesus had to confront or correct. Instead, what we find in his words is that they were words of warmth. There were words of acceptance and words of approval. There were words of encouragement and even a few words of instruction. One writer said of the church at Philadelphia that they were the most celebrated church in all of Revelation. But they were not celebrated because of the size of the church. They were not celebrated because of the budget because of the bells and whistles, all the technologies. They were not celebrated by the warm attitude amongst the people. They were celebrated for one primary reason and one reason only. They were a body of believers who were completely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, many people in the world in that day would have looked at them and maybe mocked them or even despised them, but Jesus looked at them and said this, you are faithful and he celebrated them. I believe what God wants us to see this morning is this. He wants us to be a people today who are completely and totally committed to him. Which brings about a question, doesn't it? The question for us to consider as we open God's word and really think about this committed church is this. Do you struggle with commitment? Do you and I, do we struggle with commitment? The truth is, we live in a day today where many of us struggle with commitment. In fact, many of us struggle with the most basic things of even determining whether or not we should make a commitment. This lack of commitment, for example, is often seen in relationships. It's seen in church membership. Oh, I'll attend, but I don't really want to commit. It's seen in our lack of service. It's seen in our social activities. And at times, even in our friendships, we struggle greatly with making commitment. Sometimes this lack of commitment is due to the fact that we have an abundance of choices, so many choices in fact, that it often paralyzes us because we're afraid we're gonna make the wrong choice. 
Sometimes we struggle with commitment because of a lack of faith. We think, well, what if, what if something better comes along tomorrow so I'm not gonna make a true decision today? Sometimes we have a lack of commitment because of hurts that we've experienced in the past. Sometimes we have a lack of commitment, frankly, because we're dealing with laziness and complacency and we, we're just afraid to, to do so. And while many of us struggle with even making commitment, even more of us struggle with fulfilling the commitments that we've made. We say we're going to do something, we put our yes on the table, we give the affirmative, I'm gonna do it, and yet we struggle with fulfilling that. We easily get distracted, we easily get pulled away, we get hurt or hindered, we look at the inconveniences, and oftentimes it leads us to broken promises, failed commitments, and even unhealthy patterns. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, struggle with commitment. I'm reminded of the illustration years ago about the worship leader who was so excited for the coming Easter Sunday because he had developed for the first time ever a choir and they were practicing getting ready for the wonderful Easter performance that was to come just a few weeks away. But in the process of preparing for this Easter rehearsal and Easter performance, he got discouraged and he got frustrated along the way. He got frustrated because a lot of people said, hey, I'm gonna be a part of the choir, but a lot of people didn't show up week in and week out. People were missing here and there and they weren't faithful to their commitment and he got discouraged. And so finally, at the last rehearsal, he thought he would take a moment to commend the one example in the group. He finished the final rehearsal and he said, hey, I wanna get everyone's attention. I just wanna give a word of recommendation, a word of encouragement, a word of praise to our wonderful pianist, to the, the piano player. She's been here for every practice. She's been here early for every practice. She stayed late after practice. She's been such an example, such an encouragement, such a wonderful blessing and picture of commitment. Let's give her a hand. Everybody applauded and she, she stood and she kind of humbly bowed and accepted the word of encouragement. And then she said, well, pastor, I just want to say to you, that's the least I could do. After all, I won't even be here for the performance this Sunday. <laughs> the reality is we all in some way, shape or form understand this struggle. And yet what we find at the church of Philadelphia is this, there wasn't a whole lot on the outside that people would look at and ooh and all over, but on the inside, they were a faithful people to the Lord and to his work, and Jesus commended them for it. I wanna ask you if you're physically able to stand to your feet, let's do so as we read God's word and the words that Jesus spoke to the church of Philadelphia. Verse seven, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, he says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because, listen to this statement, you have a little power and you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. Now I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to 
the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and for the time that we have together today. Show us today areas in which we might have been unfaithful so that we might repent and that we might leave here today truly committed anew and afresh to you and to your work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. God bless you, you may be seated. The committed church. Here in Revelation chapter three, we come to this next church in the city of Philadelphia. Many of us are reminded that the city of Philadelphia, the word Philadelphia literally means the city of brotherly love. This city in ancient times in Asia Minor was given its name specifically because of the love that one king had for his younger brother who was going to be his successor. In fact, so clear was this brotherly love between the two of them that this king that came as a follower, so to speak, was nicknamed Philadelphos. And so here in the city of Philadelphia, there was a church that was faithful to the work that God called them to do. Philadelphia sat in a very interesting trade route in that day as it literally was on an east route from Imperial Rome all the way towards the east. In other words, it didn't have all the trade routes that we saw in Sardis last week, but one of the most influential trade routes of the entire region went right through the city of Philadelphia. And for that reason, it was often called the gateway to the east which is a powerful indication to us of the opportunity not only for trade, but the opportunity that God was gonna give for the gospel to go all the way throughout the east through the city of Philadelphia. But one thing that's very interesting about Philadelphia was simply this. As an area, they were prone to earthquakes. The city, much like the city of San Francisco today, sat upon a geological fault. And you begin to study the ancient history there and we find that Philadelphia experienced numerous earthquakes that sought to completely destroy the city. So many were the earthquakes and so great was the devastation that the lands on the outside of the city were often referred to in that day as the burnt lands. How would you like to know, be known in the valley as being the burnt land? That's what Philadelphia was like. In other words, they lived in a place of constant uncertainty. They didn't know when they were gonna lose everything they had. They didn't know when there was gonna be another natural disaster. They didn't know when they were gonna have to flee for their life. They didn't know when they're gonna have to rebuild. And yet in that tumultuous and uncertain environment, there was a faithful church that Jesus commends and I think brings for us today as an example to really consider our own lives. Four things I want you to see this morning about this committed church. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the authority of the Lord the authority of the Lord. Every single one of these letters begins with a description of Jesus Christ. Jesus, by his own words, gives an illustration, a picture, an image, so to speak, to describe for us his attributes. For example, we've seen a few different times now that Jesus is the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. That's not literally saying his eyes are fire, but to say to us a visual image to understand, like fire purifies, Jesus sees and he knows all things. Well, here Jesus looks at this church and he begins to describe himself in the context of his authority. Listen to what it says in verse seven. Jesus, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Think of this description for a moment. First, Jesus is holy. 
That word holy literally means to be set apart. In this context, it not only means to be set apart, but it means to be set above. Jesus is holy. Jesus is pure. He is set apart from all others, and he is above all others. Jesus alone, the Bible is describing for us, is the fact that he is holy. He is so perfect and pure in his holiness that even the angels who stand before him in his presence hide their face in their wings. He is holy. Not only is he holy, but the Bible says he is true. That statement, he is true, literally means he is not only the truth, but he is true in every aspect. He is true in word. He is true in deed. He is true in examination, and he is true in judgment. We might strive to be true. We might strive to always tell the truth, but there is only one who is perfectly true in all things, and his name is Jesus Christ. But not only is he holy and true, he also has the key of David. This is a very unique statement for us to understand. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 22, we see this scripture, this statement for the first time, the key of David. We, of course, understand that David was a king. When you go back and study David and you begin to study the amount of generosity that he showed in the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple, we begin to understand that David was an extremely wealthy man. And yet the Bible says in his wealth, there was often someone who would possess a key, if you will, a key uh, of David. It's a description of the resources and the treasures that belonged to the king. For example, in Isaiah 22, there was a wicked servant by the name of Shebna. He was put in position to basically have access to the resources of the king, and he was given this position so that he might glorify God and benefit the people of God. But Shebna was selfish, and Shebna was filled with his own pride. And as a result of that, he uses position for his own blessing, not for the blessing of God or the blessing of God's people. In Isaiah chapter 22, the Bible tells us that God removed Shebna from that position and he put instead in that position a man by the name of Eliakim. Eliakim was a man who was faithful, a man of integrity, a man of truth, a man who was sacrificial, who was not looking for his benefit, but looking for the glory of God and the blessings of God's people. And listen to how God describes it in Isaiah 22. He says, then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. In other words, Eliakim is such a man to be trusted that I have given him the key to the house of David so that through this connection and through these resources, he might bless the people of God. Jesus comes along in Revelation chapter three and he says, listen, I am the one who has the key of David. In other words, all the riches of heaven, all the resources of eternity, all the blessings of the Father are available through me. Could you imagine the encouragement that would bring to the church of Philadelphia? A small church, in many ways a poor church, a church that was uncertain about its future, a church that didn't know what was going to come tomorrow, and yet Jesus would remind them, listen, you might be small in number, you might be small in budget, you may not be looked upon in greatness in the world, but I want you to know, you have me, and all the riches and resources of heaven are available to you through me. I wanna remind us this morning that the Bible says in Colossians chapter two, verse three, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You may not have the biggest bank account. You may not have the great education. You may not have the power or prestige, but if you have Jesus Christ, you have all that matters and you have all that you need. 
Jesus speaks these words of authority to remind them of who he is. His whole point is this. When we have Christ, we genuinely have, genuinely have all that we need. The second thing we see out of that authority is this. We see the approval of the Lord. The approval of the Lord. This church was not a church that was approved by many people in Philadelphia. Almost nobody looked at the church of Philadelphia and said, you know what, that's the place to be. I mean, look at that cool technology. Listen to this amazing music. I mean, look at this incredible children's program. Listen to this amazing pastor. Almost nobody looked at Philadelphia and said, that's the place to be. But Jesus looked at this church and said, but this is the church that I approve. He approved them for many reasons, but it reminds me today in our own lives and even as a congregation, our goal should never be to receive the approval or applause of man. Our goal must never be simply to be seen of men. Our goal in all things should be to live our life in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. This church wasn't flashy. They weren't flourishing with new buildings and expansion projects. They couldn't boast of their wealth, their glorious past, their famous pastors, or any great amenities. All they could simply do was this. They could be counted faithful, and they were. Three things Jesus approved about them. First off, he knew their condition. Remember I've said to you before that no church is a perfect church? I'd have got to some of them along the way, and that is found in this statement where Jesus says, you have a little power. Now, we all have some things where we're imperfect. We have to learn to walk in grace in those areas. I'm reminded of the illustration of a couple in a community one day. They'd been married for 50 years, 50 years of marriage. A local news reporter scheduled an interview with them because he, he wanted to show their story a little bit. And so he sat down with the, the wise, old, faithful, committed couple, and he started with the man. He said, now let me ask you, what has been the key to your successful marriage these 50 years? He said, oh, that's really easy. I just have been reminded every single day that I can't be selfish. He said, well, how do you remind yourself every day not to be selfish? He said, you know, I just have to remember this. There is no letter I in the word marriage. There is no letter I in the word marriage. Reporter scratched his head in confusion. And then he looked over at the, the sweet wife and he said, well, ma'am, can you tell me how have you survived? How have you held on these 50 years of marriage? She said, oh, that's really easy. She said, I've just had to remember to never hold him accountable for his horrible spelling. That's exactly how I've been married these 50 years. And those of you who can't spell today are like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? You know what she was saying? She was saying, listen, I know he's not perfect and I'm not, I'm not gonna nitpick his imperfections. Jesus knew that this church was not perfect in the eyes of the world and yet even in this moment, he encourages them. He knew their little power. This phrase, little power, is not referring to their spiritual power, their spiritual resources, their spiritual influence of the community. He's simply referring to the physical nature of their power. In our terms, here's how we'd say it. They were a small church. They were a small church. They didn't have a lot of resources. They didn't have an expanding budget. They didn't have a facility that they needed to build onto. They were just, a, in the eyes of the world, they were a church of little power, of, of frankly, little significance in their eyes. But 
Because they were a small church, because they were a weak church with small power, so to speak, here's the beauty. They learned to depend on the Lord for everything. See, there's a danger when you begin to experience God's blessing. There's a danger as a church when you begin to grow. There's a danger when things begin to expand and God brings fruit. And the danger becomes we somewhere along the way begin to think, we can do this. We got the money for this. We've got the opportunity for this. We've got the ability for this. We can do this, but we must be reminded every single day, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from the power and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'm reminded, I was just reading my devotional time yesterday, that story that we've read probably a million times as we can go through 1 Samuel, the story of David and Goliath. The Bible tells us repeatedly that David was small in stature. He was ruddy, the Bible says. But he was handsome in form and appearance, which is not given as a compliment. It's reminding us he was a pretty boy. And yet the Bible says when he realized that Goliath was taunting the name of God, he stood up boldly and in faith. When David went before Goliath in the battle, Goliath said, well, who am I that you would send a dog to fight with me with his sticks? And the Bible says that when David went to battle, he didn't walk to battle. The Bible says he ran to the battle line. He had that stone in his sling and he slung it and that rock nailed him. The Bible says literally it crashed into his skull and Goliath came falling down. Goliath the giant did not fall because of the skill or the size or the stamina or the strength of David. The giant fell because of the greatness of God. David said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and this day God will deliver you into my hand. And guess what? The living almighty God of heaven was greater that giant than any other giant that we will ever face. He was defeated. Jesus looked at this church and he says, listen, I know your condition that you are of little power. You might seem small and insignificant in the eyes of the world, but I want you to know, I have chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 1 Corinthians chapter one, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I wanna remind us this morning of this simple reality. Just because a church is small does not mean that it is not pleasing to the Lord. We must be aware to be reminded of this. Just because a church is large does not mean that it is pleasing to the Lord. God is always looking at the heart. You might have an outward appearance of success, blessing, and even godliness, but God is always looking at the heart. Warren Worsby says this to the church, it's not the size or the strength of a church that determines its ministry, but faith in the call and the commands of the Lord. Jesus knew their condition. He also knew their conviction. There is a matter of conviction for this church, and I love it. Listen <laughs> to what the Bible says in verse eight. You have a little power and you have kept my word. Verse 10, you have kept the word of my perseverance. In other words, they were a people, even though there were all these earthquakes, even though there were transitioned people coming and going, they didn't know when they were gonna lose everything. Even though there were some right there in their own midst who were bringing attacks and accusations and persecution against them, it didn't matter what was going on in the culture. It didn't matter what was going on in the world. It didn't matter perhaps even the fears that were coming within. Here was their conviction. God's word is true 
and we must be faithful to God's word. They had a conviction about the word of God. It was God's word that comforted them in their times of loss. It was God's word that counseled them in the decisions they should make. It was God's word that convicted them when they began to go astray. And it was God's word that commanded them to keep trusting in him. So no matter what they faced, they were clinging tight to the word of God. They remind me of the Old Testament pastor scripture in Joshua chapter one. When God speaks through Joshua to the Israelites and reminds them about the blessings of the promised land, here's what he says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. The believers in Philadelphia, that's what they were doing. They weren't gonna turn from the right or to the left. They were facing circumstances. They were facing hardships. They were facing hurt and pain. Many of them had lost everything they owned and yet they were clinging tight and convicted about the word of God. So much so that Jesus says, you've kept the word of my perseverance. I believe this is a direct reference to his perseverance when he went to the cross Remember, Jesus' road was not easy. His situation was, was not comfortable. Even as he's in the garden and he's sweating great drops of blood, he knows that his hour has come. He cries out to the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me. He knew the weight of the agony that was coming. And yet the very next statement, he would say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He would go all the way to the cross and there as he is being crucified, suffering and dying for the sins of the world, he'd cry out, it is finished. He had persevered all the way to the point that he gave his complete life for you and for me. And Jesus says, you've kept the word of my perseverance. You get the impression that this body of believers are looking at Jesus who endured all the way to that cross and they're saying this simple reality, if Jesus could give his all for me, why should we be willing to give anything less for him? They were clinging tight to the word of God and this led them to be a very courageous people. Jesus knew their courage. Listen to what the Bible says. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. We're gonna see in just a moment some of the opposition that they faced. There were some in their assembly who were claiming to be children of God. They were claiming to be followers of Jesus. They were claiming to be good and godly people, but they were using these claims as a mean, means for accusing and attacking and distracting the people of God. And they were facing all these adversities and all these different things. But instead of being quiet, instead of being silent, instead of being shoved into a closet never to be heard from again, here's what they did. They continued to cling tight to the name of Jesus. They're courageously saying, we're with Jesus. They're courageously declaring the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And they're courageous in their stand for him. I don't know about you, but it causes me to pause and examine these words of approval that Jesus gives. Here's the examination. Could these things be said of us? If we were standing before the Lord Jesus Christ right now in this moment, would we be noted for our courage in the way that we stand upon his word in the way that we share the gospel with others? Would we be noted for our conviction and the way that we truly believe God's word is God's word regardless of what the culture says? We're standing firm, we're standing faithful, we're staying true to his word? Would it be known that we find our security 
and our identity in Christ? If we were standing before God today, could he approve us for the same things as he approved them? But the third thing I want you to see this morning are the actions of the Lord. Jesus gave incredible words of, if you will, acceptance and approval. Uh, Maybe in our day-to-day, we'd use the word affirmation. Many of us like words of affirmation along the way, right? That encourage us and help us. Jesus is speaking words of affirmation. He's saying, listen, I I know that that you're committed to me and you're faithful and you're courageously standing upon the, the truth of my name. You're not backing down in the culture and he commends them for it. But in the midst of this commendation, he also gives them an incredible uh, word of, I think, encouragement. And that word of encouragement is this. He's saying, listen, I am working. I'm working on your behalf. I think some of us today need to be reminded of that because we don't always see how God is working. Maybe sometimes we wonder, God, are you even there? Or are you working? Is this, is this really true? But whether we see it or not, God is always working for his glory and even for our good. We don't always see it. But notice what he says about his actions. One of these actions is something he was doing in the present, in the moment, and the second action was something he was going to do in the future. So notice these actions in verse eight and verse nine. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus says, verse eight, behold, which literally means open your eyes, pay attention, think on this. I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Verse nine, behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews or not but lie, and I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Two actions that Jesus did for his own glory but on their behalf. Number one, he opened doors of opportunity for ministry. He opened doors of opportunity for ministry. Jesus says, literally, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. All throughout the New Testament, through the book of Acts and especially Paul's letters, he repeatedly refers to what we will call in this text here, an open door. An open door simply means this. It is an opportunity for ministry. It's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. It's an opportunity for kingdom advance. It's an opportunity that God is giving for us to join him where he is at work. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, Paul is giving testimony of the, the, the gospel advance that was happening amongst the Gentiles. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 14. He says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how, listen, he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, this opportunity for the gospel to go to the Gentiles, it was an open door. God alone opened this door for us is what he's saying. I find it very interesting that Paul also goes on to explain that open doors are not only something God does, but they're something that every believer has a role in. In other words, we don't just sit back and say, wow, God opened a door. No, no, we have an active part to play in what God does in opening doors. What is that? He tells us in Colossians chapter four. Listen to the instruction. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well. What are we praying for? Here's what you're praying for. That God will open to us a what? I'm glad 10 of you are awake, all right? 
God will open to us a a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Please understand, only God can open doors for his work to take place. But we have a part to play. And that part is this. We must be praying. We must be asking. We must be looking for God to open those doors. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, God had already been convicting me and calling me to preach. And I had gone through my season of resisting that. And finally, God brought me to a place of surrendering to that. And I remember at that time that I had been invited to go to a local nursing home in Montgomery, Alabama called Capitol Heights Place. On a Saturday morning, I went there and I shared my testimony and I shared what God had been doing in my life at the request of one of the ladies from our church. And I remember the next week being asked to come back and to sing and I went the next week and sang and several weeks passed and I remember one day just being so discouraged. I felt like God was calling me to preach, but frankly, I didn't have any opportunities to preach. And so I remember going to my dad at that time and saying to him, I don't understand. God called me and I said yes to him, but there's no opportunities. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, you've got to pray for opportunities. You've got to pray for those open doors. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, son, there are opportunities all around you. There are people all around you who need to hear the gospel. If God has genuinely called you, either, either, He has not shown you those opportunities or you have not prayed for those opportunities or you've just been unwilling to be obedient with the opportunities he's given you. And I remember that third statement. You've just been unwilling to be obedient with the opportunities God's given you, convicting me, I mean, like a sharp two-edged sword. And I remember that next Sunday, Miss Gloria Flint coming back and saying, hey, would you come back to the nursing home? Can I just tell you as a 16-year-old, there wasn't anything within me that wanted to go to the nursing home at eight o'clock on Sunday, or Saturday morning. Just being honest. But for the next almost year, God opened doors to go and I don't even know if they were hearing anything that I was saying and I have no idea what I was saying, but the reality is God was giving opportunities and open doors to be obedient to what he'd called me to do. I don't know if, I taught them anything, but those ladies sure taught me a lot. The reality is God was teaching me in that moment. I had to pray. I had to look for him for those open doors and those opportunities. What I've come to realize through the years is this. Listen to this. There is no shortage of open doors for ministry, but there is a serious shortage of Christians willing to walk through them. Luke chapter 10 says it this way, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's never a shortage for those ministry opportunities. There's never a shortage for ways in which we can serve. There's never a shortage of people who need to hear the gospel, but there's often a shortage of people who are willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. I'll walk through that door. That open door that God gives, it's not only an evidence of his work, It is his personal invitation for us to join him where he's at work. God will open the door. He will hold it open for a season. But if we refuse that opportunity, chances are he'll call someone else. Here's my question. What open doors is God giving in your life that you're still sitting in the chair admiring? And if I could just be blunt about it, when I think about this church of Philadelphia and I think about how God opened this door of ministry for them, I have found myself all week 
mindful of where we're at in this season of life and ministry at Crossland Community Church. God has opened tremendous doors for us. When we think about the last two years, I imagine every single one of us in some way, we think about the pandemic, we think about all the struggles and challenges and it's been real and in many ways we're still grieving some of the losses and it's been a painful season. But can I say to you at that same time, when I look at what God has done to open doors of ministry for the gospel, for Crosslink, it is, it's unbelievable. Two years, if you think about this, two years ago, this very date, we were in the middle of shutdowns and lockdowns and we didn't know what we were dealing with. And, and I remember that time our staff began to pray and we're like, man, Easter's coming, Easter's in a month and we, we can't be at home for Easter. We've got to find some way to get us together to worship the Lord. And out of that came the idea of a drive-in service. Who would have ever thought a drive-in service? I wish every single one of you could have been on stage with me preaching that day because it was the most hilarious thing ever hearing all the honks of the horns instead of amens. <laughs> I just wish everybody could have had a sign that said honk at the same time because it was like honk, 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 honk. I mean, it was, it was really cool, okay? Very distracting, but cool. <laughs> we, we, we were just praying like, God, would you, would you show us how we can be? We didn't know what God was gonna do. God opened the door for us to do that. We didn't know the newspaper was gonna pick that up. And the headline for the next week was gonna be, there is hope. And the entirety of that article was be pointing people to the hope of the gospel that we have because no matter what pandemic's going on, Jesus is still alive and well. He's still Lord over all. We didn't know that. We didn't know that the local TV station was gonna call us and say, hey, listen, we've got this spot on Sunday morning. Would you like to prom promote your message? Well, actually, it's not our message. It's the message of Jesus. You know, it's called the hope of the gospel. Like, we didn't know they were gonna ask us to do that. We didn't. I, I remember saying to them, man, that's gonna be too expensive. We can't go there. Well, and when they came back, it was, it, it was so low in cost, I laughed out loud. Felt like Rebecca, like, are you serious? This is crazy. Really? Fa fast forward to where we are today. In the midst of the pain and the circumstance of what happened is two officers in our community were killed. As we've been ministering to the families, as we've been ministering to people in the community and on some of the campuses with students, God opened the door to go to JMU and to build relationships with, with leaders there. And we, we, weren't, we were just praying, God, God, would you lead us? Would you open doors for us? Would you let your gospel? We weren't planning that. That was not our strategy. But God, again, opened the door. We didn't know in the middle of a pandemic. Five years ago, I shared with our leadership team, man, we need, we need our community to know that Crosslink cares for them because we want to point them to the reason why we care. We care because Jesus cares for them. That, that was just a thought of how we can get in the community and break down walls and what we might do to build relationships. We had no idea that God would use a pandemic to be able to get into the school system and to minister to nurses, to build relationships with law. We had no idea. We were just like praying, asking the Lord to open doors, asking God for the opportunity to take the gospel further. Remember the very beginning of the year? The gospel is our motive, it's our mission, and it is our message in all that we do. We didn't know six weeks ago that God was gonna open the door for us to go right to the Atlantic Unibank Center on Easter Sunday. We had no idea the ways that God was working and moving to orchestrate all these details and all these situations and all these relationships. But I'm reminded, God opens doors that no one can close. He closes doors no one's can open. With that as a reminder for us of urgency that we must be obedient, we must be faithful to step forward 
and to follow with the opportunities that God gives us. Oftentimes we miss those opportunities and open doors because we're content to sit in our personal comforts. We don't wanna change. We don't wanna have to sacrifice. We don't wanna have to do something new and different. Let's do what we've always done. Oftentimes we miss those open doors because of a lack of faith and conviction. Oh, we don't know how God's gonna provide. We don't know what God's gonna do on the other side of that. And we sit here in our comfort. Oftentimes we miss those opportunities because we don't want to have to do something that is difficult. But I'm reminded loud and clear, God is the one who opens doors of opportunity for ministry. Secondly, he also overcomes the obstacles of the enemy. I don't have time to speak into the details of this, but in Philadelphia, there were a group of Jews who were claiming to be children of God because of their heritage. Oh, we're God's children. We were born a Jew. We keep the law. We're religious. But Jesus literally calls them the synagogue of Satan. Why? Because they had an outward appearance of godliness, but they didn't really know Jesus. They weren't really living for him. In fact, one of the primary evidences of that is this. They didn't love the ones who truly did have a relationship with Jesus. In fact, they were doing everything that they could to deceive them and to distract them, to falsely accuse them and to hinder them from the work that God was calling them to do. In other words, what I'm saying to you is this. Sometimes when we're looking at the open doors of ministry, we convince ourselves of a lie. There can be many lies, but one of those lies is this. If this is really of the Lord, it will be easy. If this open door is really from God and I start walking forward into it, if challenges come and conflict come and issues come, then I'm gonna know that's not God because if it's God's will, God's gonna have his favor, it's gonna have his blessing, it's gonna be easy and I'm gonna feel really good about it. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse nine. This is important for us to understand. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me and life is now smooth sailing. An effective door has opened to me and now everybody likes me and I'm so popular. No, that's not what he says. An effective door, effective service is open to me and there are many, what's the next word? Adversaries. You can mark it down every single time. When you are walking in obedience to the Lord, there will be opposition. When you are walking in obedience to the Lord, doing what God's called you to do, I mean, you're, you're honoring him, you're blessing him, you're serving him, I'm just telling you, there's going to be some opposition. A little over a month ago now, there's a ministry decision that I've been praying through and wrestling through and thinking through, and a brother in Christ has been praying with me through this. He's an older, more seasoned follower of Jesus. And we were talking, it's a little over a month ago now, and we were, we've been praying about this and wrestling with this, and he, said, and he just called me out. He said, listen, I think you know what God's calling you to do. What is it? And I told him. And he said, brother, I completely agree. Here's all the reasons why. And it was incredible for him to encourage me in that way. And we're talking back and forth. And he said, now, I wanna remind you of this. He said, if the Lord is in it, before you go to, his exact word, before you go to sleep tonight, you're gonna to be attacked. 
I was like, God bless you, brother. I appreciate the encouragement, right? <laughs> He's like, if God is really in it and you're putting your yes on the table, you're gonna do what God's called you to do. I, God, I want you to know, Satan's gonna do something to distract you from the thing that God wants you to do. And I was like, well, we'll see about that. My day goes on. I get home. Heather asked me a question about the day. I got frustrated with part of her question and I responded in a tone that was sharp. I don't mean sharp as in poignant, I mean sharp as in it was a, I had a biting tone to my words. And we were all of a sudden in a place of conflict. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying I'm imperfect, okay? Then we get the message that Lane has fallen at a soccer practice, she's broken her wrist. Then I get a text message from a brother in Christ, another pastor who's struggling, going through a major issue. I end up counseling this guy. And frankly, there's a lot going on there. Then I, before I get a phone call from a distant family member, there's some major conflict going on there. And I'm just telling you, over the course of my evening, everything was disheveled, everything was chaotic, everything was going on. And before I went to bed that night, I began to think back to my brother's words. We often think if God's in it, it's gonna be easy, but the reality is when we walk forward in obedience, we can understand there is going to be opposition. Why? Because the enemy's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob God of his glory, and he wants to rob you of God's best. He will do everything he can to hinder you from the work of the Lord. And so Jesus says, listen, I understand. There are some who are coming against you and attacking you. They have a name that they belong to me, but it's just, they're just fake. They're just fake. They don't really know me. And I'm saying to you, I will make them bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. In other words, I will overthrow the enemy's plans. I will defeat them and give great victory to those who truly know me. That's what Jesus is saying. The final thing I've got to say is this, is I want you to see the assurance of the Lord. The assurance of the Lord. If you're still with me, would you say all right? Listen to how Jesus closes this letter. He closes with words of incredible assurance to them. Remember, these were people who lived in a region that was completely uh, disrupted and destroyed by earthquakes. Much of their life, like our lives in the midst of the pandemic, was lived with uncertainty. They didn't know what was gonna happen next. And yet to them, Jesus says three powerful words about the salvation he offers to all who believe in him. First, he reminds them that his salvation is protecting. Because, verse 10, you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Pause for a moment. Some commentators will say, well, this refers to yet another earthquake that Philadelphia was going to soon have two years later. But the Bible says here, Jesus says, an hour of testing that's gonna come not upon Philadelphia, but upon the whole earth. I believe, as do most biblical conservative scholars, that he's referring to what the Bible calls in the book of Revelation, the great tribulation. The Bible says that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return, he will be in the clouds and the dead in Christ will rise first and all of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds. And after the church is raptured out of this fallen, broken world, the tribulation will begin. 
Go read, if you want to this week, Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19. Read about the terror. Read about the destruction. Read about the judgment of God and the wrath of God that takes place here in this world. And we would understand it is an incredibly, uh, incredibly terrifying tribulation. You think a world with a pandemic is bad? It is nothing compared to what's to come. You think a world where, where wars are taking place and we're seeing on our screens is bad? It's nothing compared to the tribulation to come. You think the economy and the political chaos is bad now? It is nothing compared to what Jesus calls the great tribulation to come. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I believe in this context. I'm gonna rescue you out of this. If you belong to me, if you put your faith in me and you're with me, you're gonna overcome. I am rescuing you from this broken fall. His salvation is protecting but if salvation is not only protecting, it is permanent. Listen to this statement. He who overcomes, verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. <laughs> in Philadelphia, they didn't know who was coming and going. They didn't know when they were gonna have to rebuild. Everything could be destroyed. But Jesus says, you believe in me? You overcome, have victory in me? I'm gonna make you a pillar. I'm going to, you're gonna be fixed and established like concrete. You're gonna be a pillar in the temple of my God. No one's gonna take you out of the presence of my Father is what he's saying. The permanence of our salvation. But finally, I love this. That same glorious, wonderful salvation that is protecting and is permanent is also extremely personal. Notice the statement. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let me ask you a question as Pastor Scott comes and plays. It's not a trick question. What do you write your name on? What do you write your name on? You write your name on the things that belong to you. I was out of town the other day, came home and was hungry. Came home and was hungry and I opened the refrigerator and all of a sudden the angels of heaven rejoiced because I saw a box that said Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> I was like, manna from heaven, thank you Jesus. My wife was looking out for me. I pulled the box out of the fridge, put it on the counter, and all of a sudden, my laughter turned to weeping when I realized Mac's name was on it. <laughs> you know what he was saying? He was telling the entire family, I paid for it. It's mine. Don't touch it. This is gonna be a fun illustration. In all reality, all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our sins have been forgiven. They have been covered. They've been paid for by the very blood of Jesus Christ. And all who believe in him, his name will be written upon us. Why? Because they're so good. Nope. Because of our skill. Nope. Simply because by his grace, we belong to him. 
We are his and he is ours. Here's my question as we close this message in this time. Do you belong to Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or are you like some of the Jews at Philadelphia? They just had a name that they belonged to God, but they didn't really know him. Do you belong to Jesus? And if so, if you do, are you living your life faithful and committed to him? As God opens doors, are you walking forward in faith? Are you sitting back and thinking, hmm, that's too much to pay. That's, that's uncomfortable, Lord. That, that, that's different. I, I don't like that. I, I don't know what the water's like over there, Lord. Are you walking forward in faith, trusting him? There are some of us here today that need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've never done so. Today's the opportunity. I invite you to. But it may be that there are many of us here today that have been saved, but we've not been committed. We're not living faithfully. For you, today is meant to be a time of repentance and a time of renewal. There's coming a day when we will all stand before the Lord. And my hope and prayer is for every single one of us. When we do, we'll hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But I think we need to be honest with ourselves today and with the Lord. It could be that there's a good number of us, if we were to stand before the Lord today, we would not hear well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because Jesus is holy and true. He will not lie. My hope and prayer is that today will be a day of renewal and restoration, a day where we walk forward leaving from this place saying, you know what? I'm not where I want to be, but I am today focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am in a right relationship with him and I am committed to him. Lord, I will be faithful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that you've given us, the freedom that we have to read and to hear your word. Help us to be obedient to your leading in our life, I pray. Help us not to miss the moments and the opportunities that you put before us. Help us to see areas in our life, maybe where we've been unfaithful. Help us to see areas in our life where we have valued our comforts over your call. Challenge us today. Change us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.